would, please turn to Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to be reading a pretty large section throughout the sermon this morning, so keep your Bibles open, because I'm not going to read it all in its entirety at the beginning. But before we jump right into Daniel 2, I'd like to just kind of remind you of what Daniel is about, because we started the sermon last week, and there are two sections to the book of Daniel, and I want to I describe it by using this uh, great illustration that Chris Blake made for us this image. So the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, it it talks about six different historical accounts of God's people who remain faithful while living in a toxic culture. When you think of the book of Daniel, you're probably like me in that you immediately think about Daniel and the lion's den and how God miraculously saved Daniel and his friends from the mouths of lions in in the lion pit. So that's obviously the first thing you might think about when you see the lion. But the, all the, the other thing I want you to think about as we journey through the first section of the book is in, in Proverbs, it, Proverbs, it tells us, 28, chapter 28, that the righteous are like lions, that they are to be bold and courageous. And just as we learn from people who lived before us, who lived in these times, in the times of Daniel, we saw how they remained faithful while living in difficult in trying times, we too are to remain faithful as we live in difficult and trying times. As we find ourselves in this toxic culture that we are in, we need to be bold like lions. We need to be courageous like lions. So the first section of the book reminds us of God's faithfulness as his people remain faithful to him in six different accounts, uh, chapters one through six. The second section is chapters seven through 12, which points to four apocalyptic visions uh, that Daniel gives about the future. And that's why you have all of these lines threaded in and out. It points to that of prophecy. It points to that one of how the prophecy of the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, and, and there's two references in the book of Daniel that point to prophecies of Christ, but also the strands that are flowing in and out uh, give us a picture, and it helps us to think about how We can look back and see God's sovereignty uh, over the lives of his people and our lives. And we can also look forward with anticipation, uh, knowing that God is in control. And so I want to thank Chris Blake for his hours of work and helping us with this visual behind me. And it really gives us a picture of what Daniel is about, two sections of Daniel. And so we are now on chapter two, and it's the second historical account of God's faithfulness as his people remain faithful. Last week, we, we saw how Daniel and his three friends who were around 15 to 17 years old were faithful to the Lord when they were asked by a, a secular pagan king to eat meat they weren't supposed to eat and to drink wine they weren't supposed to drink. And they stood up for their faith and they said, we can't eat this type of meat and we can't drink this kind of drink. And they stood up for their faith and God blessed them by taking a stand. And now we're going to see, once again, how Daniel and his friends would take yet another stand as they were living in hard times. So let's look first at verses 1 through 13, Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. 
Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know a certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and they said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no such great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. This is the word of the Lord. As we journey through the first part of chapter 2, by the way, we're going to cover chapter 2 in two weeks, so we're not going to get through the whole chapter this week. But as we look at this first part of chapter 2, we're going to see an impossible request made by the king. Then we're going to see Daniel respond wisely, a wise response, and then we'll see God revealing a mystery, a mystery revealed. So an impossible request, as you notice here in the first section of chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, he had this dream that kept him up. It led to insomnia, where he was troubled in spirit and he couldn't go back to sleep because of the dream that he had. And when the morning came, what did he do? But he immediately consulted or brought in his sorcerers, his magicians, The Chaldeans, who were a group of Babylonians who also did sorcery and magic, and he brought them in. And a typical Babylonian protocol would be whenever a king would would have a dream, they would bring in their staff, their advisors, their sorcerers, and their magicians. They would tell them the dream, and then the sorcerers would then go back to their circles. They would talk amongst themselves. They would deliberate. They would go back to their commentaries, to their books, to all of their education, And they would just try to hash out what the meaning of the dream would be. And then they would then present that interpretation back to the king. So typically, that's how it would work. Well, in this case, King Nebuchadnezzar completely changed the protocol. And instead of telling his advisors the dream, he expected them to tell him what he dreamed. And not just that, but he then also wanted them to tell him what the dream meant. This was an impossible request. But you notice the dialogue of back and forth. He, he first tells them, and then uh, they respond by saying, well, please tell us the dream. And then verse 5, he said, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. 
Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Once again, the servants, they responded back and they said, uh, sir, why don't you tell us what you dreamed and then we'll show you its interpretation. But this time, the, the king was resolute. He was stubborn. And he said, no, I'm really troubled by this dream. I want to know what it means. And in order for me to feel confident in your interpretation, you have to tell me what I dreamed. And we see here that it made the king angrier and the temperature began to rise in the court. And he said in verse 8, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there's just one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I'll show you that you can show me it's an, and show me that you can show me its interpretation. What is he saying? One sentence for you is death. If you don't tell me what I dreamed and interpret it, I'll have you all killed. This was impossible. No man, no woman would ever be able to do this. And that was their response. They responded yet again and they said, sir, with all due respect, no, no king has ever asked this of anybody before. And no person, human being, could ever do this. Only the gods can do it, but yet the gods aren't here in flesh. And so it's not like we can consult them because they don't necessarily know. And if they do, they're not going to tell us. And at this point, Nebuchadnezzar blew his top. And he commanded that all the wise men, including Daniel and his friends, be killed. An unreasonable demand. An impossible request. Nobody could fulfill this request. Now, before we continue on to read the story, I want to focus on Nebuchadnezzar for a minute. Carol Colbush, one of our, our staff members here, a longtime member, during COVID, she said something that I'll never forget. She said, Seth, you know what's in a cup when it gets jostled. You know it's in a cup when it gets jostled. And by the way, if you ever tell me something, be careful because I might quote you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, please come talk to me and we can, you can tell me. I don't want this quoted. Carol didn't know I was gonna say this. But it was words of wisdom from Carol. What did she mean by that? You know about a person's character whenever bad things happen as to how they react to those bad things. Whenever someone hears bad news or finds himself in a pickle or a difficult situation, you know their true character by how they react. You can learn a lot about someone by how they act, by their actions. You can also learn a lot about somebody as to how they react. How did Nebuchadnezzar react when he had this dream? Two things. He was insecure he reacted with insecurity, and he reacted with hostility. Two things. Why did Nebuchadnezzar do that? Because he lived his life apart from God. And the first thing we see whenever he got this dream, he reacted as an insecure man. How can I say that? Well, think about how he responded after this dream. Nebuchadnezzar, from a world's perspective, he had it all together. He had fame. 
He had power. He had fortune. He also was building a kingdom that would memorialize him for generations to come. Looking at his life from the outside, you would see a man who would appear to have it all together. He would have everything that anybody would ever want. But yet, deep down, Nebuchadnezzar was insecure. He was insecure because next week you're going to find that the, that the dream that he had was essentially that his kingdom would be taken away from him. His kingdom would no longer remain one day. It would, be, it would not last. And Nebuchadnezzar, he put all of his life into building a name for himself. It was all about power and fame and influence. It was about being successful. That's where he found his identity. But yet, the moment he has this dream, it troubles him. Why? Because he put all of his energy and his effort into the here and now, into this life. And I'm sure he kind of had an understanding of what this dream could be. And he was concerned that everything I've ever worked for can be taken from me in a moment. When a curveball happens to you, how do you respond? Do you initially react negatively out of fear, insecurity? That's Nebuchadnezzar. He was insecure. But yet the second thing that he did is it showed a spirit of hostility. He was angry. He didn't even trust the people that was closest to him, his, his trusted advisors. He, he, he thought that they would be making things up and making up a dream and making up an interpretation. So he couldn't believe even their word. And an insecure and a hostile person, they don't trust even their closest friends. Why was Nebuchadnezzar so hostile? It was because he didn't love God. He only loved himself. And if you look back at the dialogue between him and his, and his sorcerers and enchanters, what did they say? They said, no mere man can do what you are asking. No mere man. Only the gods that aren't even here in flesh can do this. That reminded Nebuchadnezzar that he was only a mortal, a man. He wasn't God. And this made him angry and furious. And, it, and he grew in hostility. I like what Sinclair Ferguson said about this. He said, these two reactions, insecurity and hostility, are intimately connected. Nebuchadnezzar is not at peace with the world because he is not at peace with himself. Because this sense of personal peace is absent, he cannot be at peace with or ultimately trust others, not even his closest advisors. What Ferguson is saying is, insecurity, hostility, they go together and why are people insecure and why do they live lives of hostility? It's because they lack peace. They don't have peace from within. And when Carol Colbush told me, you will know a cup when it gets jostled, what she meant by that was, during COVID, you remember how many of us, including yours truly, reacted. We reacted to fear. We acted of panic and worry. You remember the toilet paper thing? We all remember that. We kind of want to forget that. We want to forget those two years of COVID, right? You remember whenever somebody would cough or sneeze, everybody would look like they had the plague 
or they were a leper and you would run away if it was just a sneeze or a cough. And you remember those times where you do everything you could to hold in from coughing and sneezing because you were worried about how people would respond? That's what Carol was referring to. You know, when a, you know a cup when it gets jostled. We all got jostled around. We were living in troubling times. Our world turned upside down and many of us reacted negatively. We, we, we reacted in panic, mode and, and panic mode and fear and worry and anxiety. Again, Nebuchadnezzar acted that way because he was a man without God. He had no peace. And as Christians, my question is, how do you react when bad news comes your way? How do you react when your life is turned upside down? Is your re- initial reaction one of fear and panic? And, oh, my goodness, I'm going to get the virus. Or, oh, my goodness, I just lost my job. I'm going to lose everything. Or, oh, my goodness. Is that how you respond? Many of us do that. We can learn a lot about Nebuchadnezzar on what not to do. But let's see how Daniel and his friends responded. Look again, at, or look now with me at Uh, Verse 14 through 18, we see a wise response. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You know, right here, we see a wise response. And what I love about Daniel here is scholars say it was the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, so Daniel may have been at this point 18 or 19 years old. We've got some 18 or 19-year-old year old here, uh, teenagers here and young adults here. What we see here from Daniel is we see wisdom far beyond his years. 18 and 19 year old Nebuchadnezzar may have been 40, 50 years old. You compare Daniel and his response to the bad news to Nebuchadnezzar's response to the bad news and they're polar opposite. An 18 or 19 year old young man, he hears that he's about to die and how does he react? Is he afraid? Does he panic? Does he freak out? No. What does he do first? He asks a question. Did you notice that? Why is this so urgent? Daniel asks. And I imagine as he asked the question, he probably had a really calm demeanor about him. He wasn't like, oh my goodness, we're going to die. It was more of, wait, wait, wait. Can you say that again? Why? Why is this so urgent? You know, what I loved about this is Daniel was seeking to understand what was going on. So he asked a question. And I would encourage all of us as we're living in this toxic culture to not overreact when we first hear bad news, when we hear, when we're watching Fox News and we hear bad things. Don't freak out. Oh my goodness, the world's about to be destroyed. But instead, ask questions. Okay, how did that happen? Why did that happen? What's going on? Ask questions instead of quickly reacting negatively. Daniel asked questions. He was seeking to understand. And then notice what he did next. He said, well, can you set up a time for me to meet with the king and show the king his dream and his interpretation of the dream? He had a lot of faith. He had faith that the one true God would reveal to him the king's dream and the interpretation of it. 
not only was he buying time, but he was taking a risk, taking a chance, because he had faith that God could do it and that God would do it. Again, how do you react when negative news comes? I would encourage you, take, take a deep breath, pause, stay poised, be calm, and then have faith. Live your life in confidence, knowing that this life is not all there is. There's heaven to come. Nebuchadnezzar was living for the here and now. He didn't think about eternity. Daniel knew there was an eternity. He also knew that God was with him, and so that helped him be at peace and be calm when he heard the bad news. The other thing, though, that, that I loved is Daniel sought his friends to pray. He ran to his friends and he organized a prayer meeting when he heard the bad news. That was his initial response. It was to pray. It wasn't to go back and look at all his books and commentaries and try to find the answer. No, he went to pray because he knew that this request was out of his league. And so what did he do? He gathered his friends together and he hosted a prayer meeting. And he he said, plead to the Lord that he would show mercy on us. What is your first reaction when you hear bad news? I would encourage you to pray. Not just remain calm because Jesus has filled you with his peace, but to pray. And so often, prayer is the last resort instead of it being the first. What I love about being your pastor, one thing I love out of many is that our elders, we pray twice a month together, and we pray for you. Whenever we hear bad news or good news from you, we're praying. Last year, I think we visited 66 houses. We're hoping to do more this year. We want to do more. So we want to know from you how we can pray for you. You know, when you go through life struggles, we want to know what you're struggling with. When you're experiencing the joys of life, we want to know what you're joyful about. We want to know what you're celebrating so we can celebrate with you. Please tell us. We'll keep things in confidence, but please tell us so we can pray. We also have a prayer team. They, they pray together, and so whenever we, we get requests, we send out this email confidentially to our prayer team, and they're covering you with prayers. Again, it's a privilege to pray and to pray for you, and so please let us know how we can pray for you. That should be our first resort, not our last resort. And to Daniel, a young 18 or 19-year-old shows great spiritual maturity because his initial response was, let's pray. I'm not going to go try to find the answer myself. I need God to reveal the answer to me because this is well beyond me. What a wise response that Daniel gave that we can learn from. But what happens next? We see a mystery is revealed, 19 verse 30. Then, or verses 19 through 30. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might. You have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. 
Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what it, what it is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Now again, next week we're gonna talk about what the dream is or was and the interpretation of it. So hold on to your seats. Stay tuned till next week. But what was Daniel's Reaction and response after God revealed to him the vision. We see here that God revealed to him the mystery, but notice again what Daniel did, how he reacted. You know what's in a cup when it gets jostled. He reacted positively when he heard the good news, and what did he do? He praised the Lord. Let me say that again. When he heard good news, he praised the Lord. The first thing he did as he took the time to pray and to praise the Lord. He didn't run and tell his friends. He didn't run to the king or the captain of the guard and say, I've got the news. He praised the Lord. And I just want to be vulnerable with you and be authentic right now because most of the time, 95% of the time, maybe 99, when I get good news, you know what I do? I'll go and tell my wife. I'll go and tell our staff. I'll go and tell my closest friends. It's the first thing I do. That's not necessarily bad to to tell those closest to you good news, right? But you know what I don't do first? Normally, I don't praise the Lord. I'm just being honest. I don't. It's a good habit if you're married to whenever good things happen, to wait to tell your spouse the good news before you tell everybody else. So that's a good practice to have. But a better practice is the first thing you should do whenever good things happen is just take a moment. And it could be a few seconds. Praise the Lord. Because every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. He is the one that that we need to praise and give all glory to. And that's what Daniel did. Did you notice that? Even as he was explaining it and about to explain the interpretation of the dream, he said, this didn't come from me. This came from the great revealer, the only one who could fulfill this demand. The one who reveals mysteries. To God be the glory. So again, when you get good news, the first response needs to be to just stop for a moment, praise the Lord. And I love the prayer that he gave. Again, if if you go back to the prayer, you can see this incredible prayer that, that Daniel gave. Just look at again in verses 20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. This prayer that Daniel gave, 
it really focused on two attributes of God. It focused on how God is all-wise and how God is all-powerful. Daniel prayed, and he praised the Lord for revealing to him the mystery. It revealed the wisdom of God and how God can make simple the wise. And as you think of it, in this prayer, you really see the comparison of the Babylonian gods and our God, the one true God. And there's no comparison. Because only the one true God can do what was about to happen. He can reveal mysteries because he's all wise and all knowing. But the other thing that Daniel prays the Lord about is that God is all powerful. I love in the prayer how he said that God is the one who changes seasons. He tears down kingdoms and he builds them back up. Again, that kind of foreshadows what's to come next week and how we're gonna see that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom will one day be taken from him. And one day there will be an everlasting kingdom that will be established. Jesus Christ will be the ruler of that kingdom. But we see here that God is all powerful and that he is stronger than any king who's ever existed. And he's greater than any God who people have learned or known about. And I absolutely love the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 46 as he makes this comparison between our God and false gods. Isaiah 46, to whom, this is God speaking through Isaiah, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? To those, those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and makes it into a god, and they fall down and worship? They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. This is an idol, it can't move. It's lifeless. If one cries to the idol, to the God, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors and sinners. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. This is God speaking about how he is unique. There is no one like him. And the false gods of this world, they're lifeless you can put an idol on a shelf and it does nothing. But what does our God do? Everything. He is sovereign. He is in control of everything. And our God cares about every little detail in your life and in mine. To me, that blows me away, that he knows every number of hairs on our head. For me, that's not many, but for some of you, it's a lot. That blows me away, that he can know every little detail about our lives. That shows not only his wisdom, but it shows his power. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that deserves our praise. But the last thing I wanna say here that made me think about Jesus is remember how the enchanters responded initially to the king and they said, no man could tell you what you dreamed. And, and the gods, they could tell you, but they're, lifeless, there, there's not gods here that are in flesh, well, guess what, believer in Christ? We believe in a God who took on flesh. He was the word and he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We had the Prince of Peace dwelling on this earth. God himself came and dwelled on this earth. I'll tell you, he is the Prince of Peace. And if you 
don't know who Jesus is, and if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus before, I'm telling you, you're gonna live your life like Nebuchadnezzar. You're gonna live a life of insecurity and hostility. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, not only will your life never be the same, but you will experience a peace that you've never experienced before, both in this life and in the life to come. Jesus, compared to Babylonian gods, there's no comparison. He came in flesh, God came in flesh, and what did he do, what did Jesus do? He died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and we could be made right once again with God the Father. If you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus, admit your sins today, confess that you don't have it all together, be reminded that he does have it all together and that's why he came to this world. Be reminded that he loves you, that he died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and commit your life to following him today, the rest of your life, and in heaven to come because you know that if you trust in Jesus, you will be in heaven and you don't have to just live for the here and now. You can live with your head hanging high knowing there's an eternity waiting for you and it's paradise. Let's pray.